Well, growing up, uh, a dream of mine was always to find Noah's Ark, right? Can you imagine finding the boat, right? Hiking up to Mount Ararat in Turkey and seeing the boat that housed Noah, his family, and every single animal that made it on that boat. That would be incredible, right? I mean, that'd be amazing. I mean, can you imagine taking your picture with that boat and then seeing your face on the front cover of every single newspaper across the globe? That would be extraordinary. But let me ask you this. If you do not have faith in Jesus, if you do not have faith in God, would something like that do it for you? Even if you're a see-it-to-believe-it kind of person, would that convince you? For those of you who do have faith in God, who have faith in Christ, let me ask you this. Do you believe those kinds of evidences could lead your friend to salvation? If you love archaeology, maybe you've had similar thoughts. If only they could find the Egyptian chariots in the Red Sea and the Sea of Reeds. If only they could find the Ark of the Covenant like in the movie Indiana Jones. Or if only some fisherman could reel in some humongous fish and then find a man inside of it, just like the prophet Jonah. Then perhaps they would believe. The list goes on. If only archaeologists could find the, conclusively find the nails that pierced Jesus' hands, the, the coat, the robe that, that Joseph wore, the sling that David slew, or even the 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrayed Jesus for. Then my friend would have faith. Then I would have faith. Is that what it would take for you? Let me ask you, what other avenues do you believe there are where one could be led to faith? What else could change your heart to trust in God? Maybe some of you have thought before, if only I could see an angel, like an angel that came down from heaven, glimmering like the sun, just left the throne room of God, standing before me. At that point, would I believe? Here's a tougher one. Maybe you've been on your knees begging God to cure your friend's cancer because maybe then after seeing that incurable disease healed, then they would come to faith. Then I would come to faith. As a kid growing up on 80s movies, I always wanted to borrow Marty McFly's time machine, right? Take the doc with me. Great Scott, right? Take him with me and see Jesus walk on water. Watch him heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise people from the dead. And I wish I could take every single person with me, right? Take you all with me, because then we'd all have to have faith in God because we saw those miracles. But Jesus crushes that line of thinking in Matthew chapter 11. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the same mighty works were done in you as they were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. See, miracles, seeing miracles are not enough to have my friend come to salvation. Those cities witnessed miracles, but that is not the means 
that is not the avenue to saving faith. Then what must I do? What must I give? How, does, how can my friend escape the clutches, the paws of Satan? Well, Paul reveals this truth in his 10th chapter to the Romans. Today we will see that in God's word, God's word alone, the word that you hold in your hands is the sole instrument that can be used to give sinners the opportunity for new life. Our focus verses is verse 17 in Romans 10. And here we will see how Paul details three components that are necessary for salvation so that you can have confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel and give the gospel to dying souls. We know in Romans 10, Paul's famous chapter on salvation, that both Jews and Gentiles can be saved through Jesus Christ. If you would, please turn with me to Romans 10, and we'll be starting off in verses 11 through 13. It states this, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come, who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, even before this, maybe some of you have memorized verse 9 where we see that we can have faith through Jesus Christ alone. It states, because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So yes, your friend, your family member, your loved one, even your enemy can come to faith through Christ alone. But what is the means? What is the source? What is the avenue in which someone might receive salvation? The truth is revealed in verse 17. It states this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of God. That is why I've entitled this sermon, Life Giving Words. As just noted in this verse, we see Paul details three components that are necessary for salvation. Why? So that you can have confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel, so that you can give the gospel to dying souls. What are the three components that are necessary for salvation? These three components in verse 17 is one, the component of faith, two, the component of hearing, and three, the component of the word of Christ. So what is the component of faith, and specifically faith in God? We've heard it all month that that faith is, we have a, a working definition in Hebrews 11, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is total trust, is absolute assurance, is complete wholehearted commitment and belief. It's like when you sat in your chair this morning, you had faith that that chair would hold you up. Otherwise, you wouldn't have sat in that chair. That would have been so foolish. That would have been so dumb. Why would you sit in a chair where you're like, you know what, I don't think this chair is gonna hold me up, but I'm gonna sit there anyway. That'd be silly, right? I mean, that'd be silly. 
And we don't know every single uh, metal component of that chair, but we have faith that it's going to hold us up. Just like we can't see the wind, but we have assurance, we have faith that the wind is there. In Romans 10, we see that verses five through 13 are all about faith. The main focus of those verses is faith. The following verses, verses 14 through 16, are all about hearing. And hearing here isn't simply catching wind of something. It's not like it just you, you heard it and it went in one ear and out the other. Maybe for, for us as, who, who are parents out there, you've asked your child, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Right, who's, who's asked that question before? Are you hearing me? Yeah, if you're a child, you for sure received that question before from your parents. You know, you're, you're hearing them, you know what they're saying, but you're not taking it to heart. You're not truly believing what your parents are saying to you, are asking of you. That's why Jesus says when talking about the kingdom of heaven, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we're gonna see is that this idea of hearing is very much coupled, it's chained, it's linked with this idea of belief as well. So when you look at Romans 10 in verses 14 through 16, we'll see that hearing is linked with belief. It states this in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? If you would turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, because what you're gonna see is that again, this idea of hearing is coupled with this idea of belief as well. It states this in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as the word, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So hearing, accepting it, is connected when you are hearing the word of God. You are believing it. So in Romans 10, verses 5 through 13 are all about faith followed by verses 14 through 16, which are all about hearing. And the final component is the word of Christ. One could say that verse 17 is a microcosm looking to the word of Christ, like it's a distilled phrase that shows what the whole entire chapter is all about. Faith in Jesus Christ can only come from, the, from hearing the component of the word of God. So what is the word of God? What is the word of Christ? Well, it's the word concerning Christ. It's the word about Christ. When you look at verses 14 through 16, you see that this is the gospel. It is the good news. In verses 14 through 16, as we've read before, it states, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? When you study the Greek grammar, the genitive shows this could be translated the word about Christ or the word concerning Christ. What is the word about Christ? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes through the Father except through me. The word about Christ, the word concerning Christ is the gospel, as we saw in the context here in verses 14 through 16. What is the gospel? The gospel is as simple as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is good news. For God so loved the world. Who is God? Well, we know Genesis 1, 1, that God is creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24, one says the, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And this creator, this creator is holy. He is unique. He is set apart. Matthew 5.48 says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we know this perfect holy creator requires perfect obedience to his law. James 2.10 states, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. I talk to our students and I say, look, if you've kept every single law, if you've obeyed your parents to a T up until this point, and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, go on, right? And I I say, if you've kept the whole entire law, say you you were were completely obedient and your parent says, do not eat the chocolate chip cookie. And they sat there and they turned around and said, yeah, mom and dad, I only ate the chocolate chips off it though. At that point, they'd have been disobedient. God looks at us and says, if you've stumbled in one point, you've become guilty of all, of breaking all of God's laws. Romans 3 speaks about how there's none who are righteous, no, not one, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. Romans 6 speaks about how the wages, the cost of our sin is death, an eternal death. God is going to pour out his wrath, his punishment. We are gonna be separated from God's presence to bless for all eternity because we've rebelled against a holy, perfect, awesome God. We're in trouble here. Titus 3, 5 speaks about how we can't earn our way to salvation. Ephesians 2, 1 speaks about how we are dead in our trespasses. We are helpless. We are spiritually dead apart from God. So the reality is that we need a savior, but there's good news. Ephesians 2.8 speaks about how we can be saved by grace through faith. Grace is loving kindness that we don't deserve and can never earn. It's unmerited favor. That is good news. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Who is God's one and only son? 
It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is 100% God and 100% man, born of a virgin, God with us, Emmanuel, Matthew 1, 23. He is God with us. Prophesied 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, born of a virgin, we would have God in the flesh. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Colossians 2, 9 states, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. See, Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived the life that you and I were required to live. And he died the death that you and I deserved to die. Think about God. Think about God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth who made every star, every single cosmo, every single plant, every tree, he knows every head, every hair on your head. And this God is pouring out his wrath. He's gonna pour out his wrath on you. But instead, he poured out his wrath on his son by piercing him on the cross. Jesus took the wrath of God for us. This is the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. God makes you righteous. It's not by anything that you've done. It's by God sending his son and that is the gospel. That is the good news. There's no better news than Romans 5, 8, which states, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for his enemies. We know in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus ascended. He rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven and he's coming back soon. But we must repent. Acts 17 speaks about how we are called to repent. And what does that mean? Repent. I've told my students it's like doing a 180. It's like going one direction and then turning and going the complete and total opposite direction. You're living for yourself, your sin, your desires, your flesh, and you turn and go the opposite direction and go towards the Lord and live for him. It's like if I was snowboarding and I'm going down the mountain, I start going over all the rocks, I start heading towards the tree and, and, the, and the giant cliff that's gonna lead me to death. But I turn around and I go the opposite direction, to the powdery snow, to the finish line. That's the idea of doing a 180. That's the idea of repenting. You're recognizing your wrong way and you go the right way instead. Romans, Romans 10.9 has already given us an idea of what that looks like biblically. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But we must repent and that is the good news. We know that the gospel, the gospel is the cross of Christ when you read 1 Corinthians 1.17, it states, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The gospel is the cross. The gospel is John 3.16. 
The gospel is the word concerning Christ. But so what? So what? So consequently, you must trust in the word of Christ alone to see sinners come to faith. Hold that Bible. Hold it in your hands. Feel the leather because these are life-giving words. You can consequently have confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel and you can consequently give the gospel to dying souls. This is the only means, the only avenue in which one might come to a saving relationship with the king of the universe. We must remember, faith does not come from hearing and hearing from archeological finds. Faith does not come from hearing and hearing and through seeing angels. Faith does not come from hearing and hearing through or seeing miraculous healings. Faith does not come from hearing and hearing through seeing miracles. Steve Doucette shared just recently Luke 16, 31, which states, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. No, faith does not come from even seeing someone risen from the dead but faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 Peter 1.23 speaks about how we can go from being perishable to imperishable by the living and abiding word of God. In the following verse 25, it says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Maybe you've seen those poppies on the hill, those wildflowers on the hill, they are fading. The word of the Lord does not do this. And we're able to go from being perishable, able to die to imperishable by the living and abiding word of God. When I go shopping with my wife, Kristen, through the perishable aisle and the place where I don't eat food, right? Those vegetables and fruits, I dodge them like the plague. Lord help me. Those things are called perishables. Why? Because they're going to rot. Because they're going to become bad. They're not going to last I have to meticulously look through the blackberries that my daughters eat because some of them go bad and I have to throw them away. We here can go from being perishable, able to die, to imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We know James 1.18, we are brought forth by the word of truth. In verse 21 of James 1, it says, it is the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Ephesians 1.13 states, when we heard, there it is again, when we heard the word of truth, we received the gospel of our salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15 states, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is so clear that there's only one way to faith. There's only one way to salvation. Jesus shares in his parables in Matthew 13 that there was a sower that goes out to sow in the seed, kind of like a farmer. And as he has his pallet with all his seeds, he takes his seeds and he casts them out into the soil. Some seeds fall on bad soil. The birds come and eat them up. The sun scorches them, the the weeds come and choke them out. But other seeds fall on good soil. And these go a hundred times fold of what they originally were. 
Maybe some of you have seen a, an acorn and then held it up to see the mighty oak tree before you, giving you all the shade, giving home for the birds to nest in. This is what the word of God is capable of. Jesus says, I am the sower and the, the seed is the word of God. We're all called to be seed sowers and to cast the seed because when it falls on good soil, it can do miraculously more than what we could ever dream of. If you've ever seen a little tiny mustard seed and then seen those, those fields of, of mustard plants, those yellow plants as we drive across the freeway, they are, they are walls of plants. God's word is able to do exceedingly more than we could ever dream of. So again, we can only be saved by grace through faith. We can only be come to salvation through the word of Christ. I was having a conversation with my cousin and my cousin said, yeah, Jared, you know, through, through Jesus alone, okay. But say, say some Native American who had some Native American religion, that person dies, goes to heaven and then sees that it was Jesus the whole time then they could turn to God and have faith in God alone through Jesus afterward. Well, we, as we've gone through, we know that faith does not come through hearing and hearing through Native American religions, but rather the word of Christ. I went on to explain how Romans 1 crushes this line of thinking. It smacks at it. Romans 1 speaks about how every single one of us here has a sense of God, a sense of deity, what we do is we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What the world does is they worship the creation rather than the creator. They worship the gifts rather than the giver. They have the law of the Lord written on their heart, Romans 2.15, but they take that conscience and they make it null. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is only through the word of Christ that one can come to faith Hebrews 9, 27 also destroys this line of thought. It states, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We must remember that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If there is any other way, why would God send his son? Think of it this way. We can't expect a plant to grow without the right type of soil, the right type of sunlight and water. We can't expect our vehicles to go without the right type of fuel. Maybe you've accidentally put the wrong type of fuel in your tank before and you had to siphon it out. It's not gonna work. It will destroy your vehicle. As a child, every single one of us probably put the right type of coin in the machine, the quarter machine, because we knew that was the only way we could get the prize. Who's tried a penny or a dime before? I certainly did. Just hoping that one time, maybe that little dime or that nickel or put them together somehow and they'll, they'll work. It doesn't work. No, 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 no toy comes out. Only the manager comes out upset. There's only one means, one avenue, one way to salvation. And that is through the word of Christ. We must trust in the correct source if you look at Hebrews 4.12, we're able to see what God's word can do. Hebrews 4.12 states, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just as the mythological king, King Arthur, had faith and confidence in Excalibur to cut through the armor of his enemies, so we can also trust in the word of God alone to pierce the soul. So what will you do? What will you do with this word from God? I hope you didn't come here today to hear a sermon, but rather to hear a message, a word from God's very word in Romans chapter 10. I want to remind you that I'm I'm not sharing these words with you to make you more intelligent. This isn't an exercise of the mind. The last thing I, I, I hope and pray for is that you'll hear these words and be like, wow, that's a really cool truth and then just bury it in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart. My hope is that you will know with full confidence that what you hold in your hands is sufficient to see souls one for Christ. God is with you. You are not alone. God promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That we don't have to have a spirit of fear and timidity because God is with us and God is the one who can change hearts. We know John 3, 5, we must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit comes in and changes hearts, we're not gonna be saved. But this is the avenue, this is the source in which God has chosen to see souls one for Christ. I wanted to end by sharing about a man who lived 500 years ago. His name was John Lambert. He was a pastor, a preacher, He was a teacher of Latin and Greek languages. He was even a chaplain. And as John Lambert studied the scriptures, he soon became convicted that his view of what God's word has to say went against the teaching of the state, went against the church of England. See, as John read, he saw that the communion, it doesn't literally become the the blood and flesh of Christ. He saw that Jesus' disciples were right there present when Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. So John couldn't keep quiet. John Lambert had to share the truth which he saw in scripture. And consequently, it landed him on trial. And his judge was none other than King Henry VIII. So John Lambert, he studied, he prepared And he went before his judge with the most eloquent words, faithfully defending the truth of scripture, rightfully dividing the word of truth, but it didn't matter. The verdict was predetermined. The trial was over before it began. John was sentenced as a lamb to the slaughter. So how do they choose for John to die as a spectacle for all to see? They sentence him to be burned alive, to go to the flames. So as John was put on the flames and he saw the people before him, he knew that the flames that he would experience then and now did not compare to the eternal flames that his hearers, those in front of him, would take for eternity. So as he was being burned alive, He cried out with everything that he was, none but Christ, none but Christ, none but Christ, none but Christ, none but Christ. Christ. 
Beloved, will you give none but Christ to your loved ones, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your enemies, to dying souls around you? We can do so many better things in heaven. We can love better in heaven. We can fellowship better in heaven. We can pray better in heaven. We can sing better in heaven. But we cannot share the gospel better in heaven. Why? Because everyone there has already heard the good news and believed. Everyone there has already received Jesus into their heart as their savior. They've heard the word of God. The time is now. Don't put your light under a basket. Don't don't cower away because God is with you. You have the best teammate in the world who's doing all the work for you. But we gotta put one foot in front of the other and share the best news on the planet. You have the remedy, the cure to a disease that has only one way to becoming better. One way for the sick to become healed. And those words are in your hands as we share right now. Will you have confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel? And will you trust in the word of God alone to see souls won for Christ? There's only two answers to this question. Yes or no. Please join me with a yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a merciful, gracious, holy, and wonderful God. And God, you've given us such a high calling in our life to share the gospel. Help us to do it with joy. Help us to delight in our master, to rejoice with our king as you go alongside of us as we share your life-giving words. Father, may we fall madly in love with you because we fall madly in love with you as we see what you've done through your word. May your word continue to captivate in our hearts and may it overflow into all that we see, all that we come in contact with. May it be such a joy to share your truth. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to depend on some crazy archaeological find to happen. We don't have to to worry about whether or not you send an angel to be revealed to someone. Lord, we know that you can heal people and we pray for that. We pray just as the lepers cried out, Lord, if you're willing, you can make us clean. And we rejoice when you do heal. But God, we know that it is only through the word of Christ alone that souls can be saved. May we rejoice with you. May we give you our best. And may we stand in awe and watch the Lord do exceedingly more than we would ever could dream or imagine. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.